I'm Lisa Bontesumi, and this is the Ath Mindset podcast series on sports epreneur. This podcast series is a space for conversations with athletes, coaches, practitioners, and stakeholders in sports. And it's where those individuals share their perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on mental health in sports. Eric Kazimoff of Sports Epreneur is generously hosting the Ath Mindset podcast series on his platform as he deeply believes that these conversations are essential and deserve to be prioritized. This is the Ath Mindset podcast series on Sports Epreneur. Sports Epreneur, the content platform where sports, entrepreneurship, and mental health collide. If you are looking to start a podcast or create original content, you have to talk with the team at Sports Epreneur. I work with them and I vouch for them. It's that simple. Go to sportse.io to learn more. You are a very emotionally aware man. And I think that makes sense that you do the work that you do. Mm. So I really appreciate it. Let's talk about that. What is your worldview or your personal philosophy or view about the athlete, about who the athlete is, how they move in their world? How would you talk about it? I think quite simply put, athletes' needs are very similar to anyone's needs. You know, They want the same fundamental basis. They want to feel safe. They want to feel confident. They want to feel challenged. So I don't think there's too much of a discrepancy between athletes and non-athletes. I think what ends up happening is that maybe perhaps what through the hype of competition and and the materialistic things of money and what that actually brings, a greater overlapping theme becomes a bit more of a, a pressure sense, right? And so now all of a sudden it's they're no longer people, we're athletes, you know, and and we don't live through the same sort of problems that other human beings do. We live in a different world. And so to some part, I think that's true. But to another part, I think a lot of it is fabricated through competition. And so I think that pressure actually surmounts to the point where they feel very isolated. They could feel very misunderstood. And so at the end of the day, an athlete is just a human being. They just have a different passion towards competition than others do. Yes, I agree. I agree. They're just a human being or as much of a human being as the rest of us. I wonder, just to get deeper on it, I've had conversations about we just started this conversation with social media and like the high profile way that we view athletes depending on their level of performing and the access that we have to them via social media, via like real time kind of interaction. How do you think that plays into the possibility of dehumanizing a person or them experiencing the pressure, not just in competition, but in how people view them and then all of the critical comments that might come via social media that... How do you feel about all that? That's such a great question because I think there's always this fine line between, okay, as an athlete, you're being paid. If you're one of these top athletes, you know, maybe you're in the top five leagues in the world and you're getting paid unsurmountable money. And so you say, okay, this kind of maybe goes with, with being an athlete at this high level. You have all the riches, people are paying lots of money. And so you kind of have to learn how to create and generate that, let's say, sort of so thick skin. I think what's happened is that, like anything else, social media allows for there to be connectivity. But it, I don't think we're really wired in a way to take in so much information and so much criticism all the time. And so money or not, you could still feel lonely. You could still feel a crazy amount of pressure whether you have millions in the bank, right? So I think it's a very difficult position that athletes are in. I think 
they're in a difficult position, but I also think that they have the financial resources and the mental fortitude to be able to withstand that. Maybe something that other people and other professions don't have to go through because they haven't really been used to it. So I think there's always like anything, you don't have that pressure, therefore you don't have to worry about that criticism, but you have that pressure. So then now you have to worry about that criticism. I think it'd be unfair to say, well, just because they're making millions of dollars, they should be able to take it. Yes, but no. There's that sense of, okay, where's the humanity in all of this? And I think that's where it goes well beyond the social media pressure. It's what sort of education are we partaking in before the athlete even steps onto the field or before the, let's say, the customer even walks into the stadium? What's our perception on just being a good human being? If that's being taken care of, then I think half of the things that would be occurring on social media wouldn't even be happening. Yeah. Yeah. I think people are quick to judge. People want to understand it right away and put their two cents into it without thinking and the facts that might be in play and how it might affect the person. It can be really intense. And I think the mental fortitude is an interesting piece. I you know, have had recent conversations with current and former athlete, professional athletes as of late. And to learn that these high-performing athletes aren't born with the mental fortitude, yeah, right? That they have to learn. That they have to learn how to do it and train on it and be committed to it just as they do to their physical abilities and physical skills, right? That like people are probably some kind of sort of astonished when they're like, wait, he wasn't born with that or she wasn't born with that? Like, isn't that like a personality trait or just something in their genes? It's like actually a lot of athletes need to work on it. Well, humans need to work on it. It's not just something you're born with. So I think that's super important. I think you make a really good point there. And something had reminded me, if you saw The Last Dance documentary on Netflix with Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. there's this little snippet of Dennis Rodman. He's in the gym and he says, and I think it was so profound and so perfectly put, it just goes to show the essence of what it is to be an athlete. He says, to play basketball, I'll play for free. I get paid to manage you guys, to manage the social light of it all, the pressure, the, the press. That's what I get paid for. And I think that was such a monumental moment in the clip that happened so fast and yet it was so real. It goes to show that this man, as rambunctious or as uh, <laughs> out there as he is, he's still a human being and he still looks at it and says, listen, I would play basketball for free. I'm getting paid to deal with you guys. And I thought that was just a perfect way of putting it that at the end of the day, <laughs> athletes just want to perform. They just want to play. Yeah. Yeah. And be in their craft. That's their zone, their, their happy place, so to speak. In all of this, I know that you do some intentional work where you use the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Share with my audience what the Enneagram is and how it's used in this worldview philosophy you have as the athlete, as a human. Well, you know, the Enneagram is really just another resource and another tool to help identify personalities, personality profiles, right? It's actually the best way that I could understand it is that it's not a way to put you inside a box rather than get you to reach outside of the box, right? Get you to see what your true potential is to actually explore and develop in other ways that maybe you thought couldn't. And so these conflicts that arise could sometimes lead to a lot of frustration. And this frustration, if it doesn't have a direction, can make you feel a little bit lost or maybe it makes you feel a little bit like, okay, well, you know, is this who I am? But I think we have a lot more potential. And so the Enneagram just strictly creates a little bit of a roadmap that allows for each individual to think, okay, these are some of the tendencies that I have. Great. But how can I work on them? And so the Enneagram is, could be used in a lot of different ways. It's been used in aspects that are a little bit more spiritual, maybe aspects that are a little bit more religious. 
my interpretation and an interpretation I use through a collaborative alliance with another partner is something a bit more pragmatic. It's really tailored not for it to be simplistic, rather simple, right? We've created in a way where, or he's created in a way where it could be applied in day-to-day usages. But in this case, with sports and athletes and coaches, it's a way to say, okay, what are some of my tendencies, right? And based off of these tendencies that I have experienced, what does this mean and how I develop as an individual, as an athlete, as a coach? And as a result, what are some of the blind spots, right? And these blind spots, everyone has. And so these blind spots could sometimes create confusion, frustration. You're not really feeling at peace with yourself and, and everything begins to have a little bit of a trickling effect. So I use the Enneagram as a little bit of a focal point, a roadmap to help guide my work and the work of athletes to say, listen, first and foremost, you're a human being. That's okay. Things are going to happen. We're all going through something. Now, based off your personality, what are some things that we can anticipate? And I think the notion of being able to anticipate something lowers that sense of anxiety, actually increases your sense of identity to say, okay, well, these are some of the things that I'm dealing with. It's okay. And all of a sudden, this little concoction allows for people to feel a little bit more human, right? A little bit more, okay, it's it's fine. Everything is under control. Let me just work on it. So that's essentially how I use the Enneagram in my work. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Could you give us a example of either with an athlete or a coach where you've identified certain personality trait or sort of tendency that has helped them, like the identification process and then how it helps them? Sure. So I forgot to mention that the Enneagram is based off of nine personality types, right? And we call them strategies, right? And ultimately, it's our way of We do things to feel a certain way, right? We all have a certain way to do things to make us feel a certain way. And everyone everyone has a little bit of those nine strategies, but they essentially lean a little bit more towards one. And so in their interpretation of how they actually execute whatever they're doing to feel a certain way, that's their instinctual bias, right? So we have, what are they trying to feel and and how are they going to execute that? So currently, I'm working with a coach who has an instinctual bias. Right of a transmitter, right? And there's three instinctual biases: it's transmitting, right? This is how they're going to try and do it, and their strategy is they're striving to feel excited, right? So they're constantly looking to feel that stimulus in anything that they do. Sometimes that allows them to be incredible leaders, very charismatic. They have this incredible impulse about them, right? And this is what really charges them. But on the flip side, sometimes procrastination, sometimes maybe through a lack of preparation and planning, it actually increases and it actually creates a stimulus that they're also looking for, but it also gets them into trouble. So it's their way of saying, oh, it's okay. Everything is going to be figured out fine. But really what they're looking for is that stimulus, even in an argument, even in a moment to say, oh, I got to really pick it up. And that's what they're looking for. So sometimes these create conflicts within their own practice. And ultimately, how does that affect the players? So we find ways to make it relatable which is the most important thing because if it doesn't relate to the individual, then they're not going to be able to walk away and say, yeah, I should change. I should be less of a procrastinator. No, you have to make it in a way where it relates to the individual just by shifting a little bit of their mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's interesting. It's a practice of self-awareness. You're giving tools and a structure and a format for them to learn more about themselves and to highlight the aspects of themselves that are helpful and productive and help them with their relationships and the relationship with themselves and ones that actually really don't as much and be aware of when they come out, how to manage them. I think it's like in my field of clinical work, it's almost like there's many fields around diagnosing about 
giving that information. Some people feel like, don't label me. Like, I don't want to be told who I am. Like, I don't want it to be pathologized, so to speak. And then there's conversation about, well, how can this diagnosis that we're thinking about help you to understand yourself more? Yeah. More so, a lot of people I work with, athletes, clients I work with, they are relieved when there's actually a name for it. Like, what? I'm not the only one? Like, there's actually research and (laughs) this is in a book that is like the Bible of our profession that says this is what's going on. They feel less alone, more human, more normalized. So I think it's interesting how we use these tools and the skills that we have in in our particular industries to help people know themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you had said, I just wrote down because I thought it's such a vital point is that we're helping people create better relationships with themselves, right? And I think that it's so important if we're able to find a sliver of who we are in the profession that we're executing, I'm pretty sure that that alignment creates a sense of transcendence where you really feel you really feel alive. It's really no longer work. It's really just your passion. You're executing your passion sort of thing. And I love the idea of not creating separation between the individual and the professional rather than how can we integrate it? So what are some of the things that I am working on as an individual outside of the field, right? And how does that apply to where I am when I was a coach? For myself, for example, I remember I was going to bed in conflict and turmoil. And really what it was is that I was saying something to my athletes that I myself wasn't executing. Even if it's as small as saying, I was asking the players reflect and do this and you have to take better care of yourself. But I wasn't taking care of myself. And so all of a sudden there's this conflict that I didn't realize until I started to step back and better understand and create a relationship with myself. And as soon as I started to see the similarities and and how to synchronize these little moments, I felt a lot more engaged with myself and I was able to actually empathize better with my players because now it was no longer Mario, the person, Mario, the coach, the players over here and me. It was more about, hey, I can understand because I was just going through that as well. And all of a sudden, we start to create this level of empathy and connectivity that is becoming so vital as we develop more and more and as we get to understand more and more about individuals. It's it's about the relationships and about the quality of the relationships. So when we say it's quality of the relationship, it's not just you and someone else, but it's first and foremost with yourself. Therefore, the quality of the relationships that you have with yourself will later reflect with others. And I thought that was just such a great point that you had made. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your openness about like your journey in emphasizing that for yourself. Because likewise with me that like I never ask a athlete to try something or think about something or wonder about something that I've never had. Mm. Like I am not going to put them through a process without having engaged in it myself. And then for the exact same reasons, and I have that experience and I can then lend them the opportunity to experience as well and allow them to grow in ways that I know I've grown and that every athlete I meet with, every person I meet with, I grow too. Like I learn something new about myself and that's the beauty of it. It's a symbiotic relationship. I think coach, athlete, athlete, coach, therapist, athlete, therapist, coach, we're all connected. I know that you have a holistic view about how the sporting environment is connected, not just the coach and the athlete, but front office staff, game day staff. Like, Say more about your view on that. Well, you know what? I think it came as a result of... Again, I don't want to make it too long-winded, but I like to look at how things kind of originate, right? And so 
everything kind of has a process for me. But in terms of looking at things in a holistic way, I really just kind of look back as to what have I gravitated to? Why do I like it? And it always revolves around the same thing, that notion of connecting with people, experiencing different life forms in different places allows for there to be a really like heavy layer of humanity in my life. And so once I started to realize that who we are as individuals isn't that far away from who we are as athletes or coaches, or there shouldn't be that separate feeling, there should be an integrated feeling, this word holistic began to be like really catchy in the last you know two, three, four years. And so all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, well, this is something that I relate to. It's something that I've now been able to put a name to it. So the holistic approach is really something that I find to be just something very natural, very organic to me in a way that it's been something that I've been growing up with is understanding that it's not two separate individuals, although I had my own struggles with it because, again, this is how I coped with certain things when I was an athlete. It was I was always in that sort of conflict. But the holistic, kind of going back to the whole topic, which was the holistic approach is you know, understanding that, again, we're not separating the individual and the athlete. It's how can we relate one to another, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And this connection of understanding that it's no longer, okay, how do we measure their performance on the field? It's how do we measure their performance and how do we manage their performance? As a US soccer grassroots instructor, one of the competencies that we're constantly going through is uh, managing the performance environment. And it, what I love about it is that it's, again, incorporating what we know to be important statistically, right? Which is that in order for us to manage the athletes, we have to go beyond what they're executing on the field. It's what are they doing outside the field? And so we as educators, as facilitators, coaches, it's in our best interest to take time out of the day to understand who the athlete is outside of the field, getting involved, making sure that we're communicating with the parents, seeing how they're school life is like, their social life. We're not saying that we have to be all intrusive, but we have to understand a little bit about what the dynamics are. So when they come to the field and they're not performing well, maybe, just maybe, isn't because they're having a bad day because they don't want to be there. Maybe because they had a fight with their friend or they didn't do so well in an exam. And all of a sudden, if we can start to introduce these components into our tool set as coaches and, and as educators, all of a sudden, the player starts to feel a little bit more identified. They feel like they're in a safer area, which means that they can now perform better, which now they feel like, okay, I'm no longer being looked at as an asset, but I'm looked at as a human being. Yeah, right. That's a really important sequence. For sure. And I think what you're speaking to is it takes away the commodification that can happen Yeah. of an athlete, right? That they can become a commodity, an asset, an object that is just there for one reason and one reason only when that's really limiting and who they are. It's funny, I just had a conversation with the Roots technical director, who was our coach last year too, about this whole piece of managing the performance environment. And that environment is not limited to the field. So I think that's super, super important. I mean, I think your background would be interesting to hear about. I mean, you talk about like, I don't want to be long-winded, I don't want to talk about it. But I think we all come to what we do for a reason and because of our own story and journey. I mean, if you wouldn't mind, would you like to share a little bit about your journey as a human, as an athlete, as a coach, educator? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. When I look back at my development as a person or my journey as a professional or, or essentially who I am right now, I can't help but think about the environment that I was constantly exposed to since I was younger. Now, my family has always been moving around from one country to another, looking for more opportunities for, for themselves and for the family. And so when we moved to the United States, we were constantly going to Spain and coming back and going to Spain. And so I felt like I was constantly bred in an environment on 
how to cope and live with different cultures through sports. And so that exposure allowed me to create a really high level of depth and knowledge and just overall communication skills, how to connect, how to adapt to situations at a really young age. So I was fortunate enough to have been exposed to that. And then, of course, as things start to catch on and you start to become more competitive in sports, my brothers and I, we were always competing, always wanting to play the same sport together. So family was a really big thing. And as I developed, soccer became more and more of a fixture in my life. It was something that I wanted to continuously grow and develop at. And I was a bit of a late developer in many ways, but that didn't really cut away from the, just the general resilience and grit that I felt like I always had. And so I was fortunate enough to have gone to Europe when I was younger. Uh, I was in England already at the age of 17. I came back, went to college, was playing there. I was fortunate enough to go to a great university as a Division One athlete, but you know, it was like, I, I want to go and experience and play and travel in Europe. So I did that and I picked up my backpacks and I left. And before I left, I was cutting grass and painting houses and, and refing games to make money to kind of set up on my dreams. And we were fortunate enough. So we were able to go, myself, my brothers, and we got started on lower level teams and always looking to get into that next level. And so football, soccer took us everywhere in the world, myself especially. I was in Slovakia for a little bit, and then I traveled throughout Spain, Portugal. I ended up playing in Italy for a little bit, Romania. And then when everything was said and done, I'm like, I'm tired. I think I need to take <laughs> I'm just tired. So I was fortunate enough to just essentially pick up where I left off and just got into something else I was passionate about, which was working with kids, education. And I started working as a culture ambassador in, in Madrid, in the school system, worked in the Pyrenees Mountains over the summer. Then I moved to the Canary Islands. So I had all these incredible experiences working in education, tourism, business, and wanted to get back into coaching or wanted to get into coaching. And so I did my UEFA B license. And next thing you know, all of these experiences as a player, all these experiences in terms of being able to deal and relate to people on a customer relations level, even on the business acumen side, right? How to generate an idea saying, hey, this is how we're going to sell it. This is how we're going to get players to come on a recruiting level. All these experiences kind of accumulate into being as a coach. I was fortunate enough to be in my coaching career in Italy with the smaller kids in Spain. And then I decided to come back to the States and try my luck here. So was launched into the San Jose earthquakes, was very fortunate enough to spend a couple of years there with the younger kids and with the olders, but I was ready to take a break. And I got into video and analytics company, which was awesome to see a different side of things in terms of business and analytics. And then I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to take a little bit of a break. And then COVID hit and, and now we're here kind of makeshifting around and, and getting ready. So currently I'm working at a school. I'm a coaching educator. I'm working with the association US Club Soccer to develop some programs. And then obviously with Hubal, getting ready and uh, developing that a little bit more. No, I appreciate it. I mean, I think that it's so important for people to hear the journey of who an individual has become and what has influenced that. I mean, I think you're highlighting that playing your sport, in your case, football, soccer, depending on where you are in this world, has led you to make relationships, learn skills have experiences that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise had, travel Europe. I know that you are multicultural, multilingual, like that you are a world man or the way they talk about it, like that you could be comfortable in many countries. And I think that's amazing because you were able to travel at such a young age and to experience that and to navigate that, to navigate a different, not just culture, but lowercase c culture, the culture within the team that is in a different country 
the nuances, the language. It's so cool. You, there's no way you can really learn that in a book. And you're taking that and applying it to the things that you want to express your passion in. And it's evolved over the years. Like people can take breaks, people can pivot, people can like reset and like think about like where their heart is. And I think it's a great example of that. I think that you've also been able to develop other identities outside of the athlete identity, which I think for a lot of people, it's hard. It's hard to do. Like you play and you go to school for so long, then if that stops abruptly or per your own decision for whatever reason, who am I? You've found ways to discover yourself, to express yourself, to have other identities. And I think that's really inspiring and really important for people to hear. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yes. The identity part is is something so vital. I know we've spoken in the past about that relationship that an athlete has with themselves through the actual sport and that how sometimes, although that helps them propel in many ways, it also in some way creates this internal conflict, right? And so by almost exclusively looking at themselves through the lens of an athlete, there's pros and cons. And I think you spoke about it right there is the willingness to kind of pivot and explore certain things we have to look at we. I still consider myself almost sometimes an athlete, but once an athlete, always an athlete, Mario. <laughs> exactly. We have to learn how to be able to look at ourselves as okay, I'm a toolbox full of tools. And these tools are I have knowledge here, I have experience with this. That does take time for sure. I don't want that to be understated. I think it's really important to be able to work into what that means as an individual, that the identity piece. Yes. And I think to riff on that even a little bit more is that your identity not just in what you do for a living or what you do or produce, but who you are in your relationships. Like those skills that you've learned as you travel, as a young athlete, as a more older athlete in your coaching and your education, you're continuing to learn and absorb. And then you learn how to relate, relate to people, your loved ones, your family, the students, the athletes. So I think it's important to highlight that as well, that these skills help us in our relationships. And it goes back to our original kind of like idea about our relationship with ourselves. It's holistic in the it's way that we, that we look at it. <laughs> That's such a great word. It's holistic. It's, it's relatable. <laughs> being able to create that connection is, I wouldn't say that's necessarily everyone's forte. You know, being a good listener, it does take talent, it does take time to be able to curate and having the ability mentally to, to work with someone else and be able to draw in experiences and know when to talk and when not to talk or how to create that relatability. That's also a skill set as well. So that takes time and that takes experiences for sure. But that identity piece is so fundamental. Mm-hmm, for sure. You mentioned Hubal. Tell us more about it. What is this project of yours, this company that you're creating? Yeah. So Hubal is a company that I've essentially just launched in the last few months. We're breaking out of this beta phase of testing, but Hubal is short for humanities and football. And the idea behind it is really, I looked at the things that I'm passionate about and I wanted to create a kind of an umbrella of sorts by focusing on what I'm really interested in based off of the experiences. So it's a alternative sports management entity who focuses on the influence of personalities and the workspace. When I say workspace, it could be front office, back office, technical staff. It's really all-encompassing, but it is focusing and emphasizing on the influence of personalities. So that's essentially what the project is, right? I'm really passionate about the idea of working alongside not only players, but technical staff, and also trying to create maybe a vertical integration of sorts from back office, front office to technical staff. You know, how incredible would it be for an entity from top to bottom 
thinking and feeling and understanding personalities and the impact that it has in an organization. I mean, I think that would just be absolutely phenomenal in terms of how to relate and how to really work together in an environment and in a community. So that would be, let's say, you know, the top goal. But ultimately, this is a framework of knowledge that can be applied and scaled out to really any profession, especially in this case, the athletic department. So been really excited about getting into this. It is a moment of entrepreneurship where you're starting to expand and, you know, get yourself into uncomfortable positions. But I feel very, very grateful and very fortunate to first and foremost be in this country to be able to develop this idea and have the resources. And then ultimately have a network of people where much like yourself, I can call on and, and get some pointers from and see what's going on and how does this work and what does it look like in your environment. So it's just beginning working with a couple of coaches now, but sure enough, we'll be breaking into some workshops and getting some literature out there as well. That's exciting. I mean, congratulations. I look forward to being alongside you in the work and following your work and supporting yes. in any way I can and, and continuing to learn as well. We as former athletes, I said this earlier, once an athlete, always an athlete, we're used to being in uncomfortable situations. That's how we grow. That's how we continue to make impact and can then be there to help and serve other people. So I'm excited for you. It's good for you for taking the leap. Thank you. And actually to that point, I think that uncomfortableness that you had just said, I feel like sometimes we don't understand how much we're really growing in these uncomfortable moments until we actually are even being put into a position to maybe help someone else out. Sometimes we could feel constantly uncomfortable and that is uncomfortable. And you think, okay, when am I going to get settled? And sometimes that moment, that aha moment actually comes through serving someone else or helping someone else. And I think that moment when that intersects past experiences and past uncomfortableness intersects with someone else's problems and you feel a little bit more at ease, you could tell that the other person's having troubles and you're able to help the other individual. I think that moment is what makes all that uncomfortableness worthwhile. So I think it's got to be a two-pronged sword, right? It's not only for your own growing, but that feeling of this is ultimately going to help someone else for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's almost like the discomfort is what we need to go through to take it to the next level and to help someone else take it to their next level, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I have one last question for you. As you sit here in this moment and you image your sort of 75-year-old self, you're at your home, wherever that might be. It's a peaceful moment. You have your family around you. You have your wife. You have your kids, your grandkids, extended family, maybe someone you've coached before, maybe someone that you've played with before. What would you like to say to everybody? What would you like to... As a wise man at that time, 75, you lived your life. You're living your life still, but you've lived 75 years. You've reflected. What would you want them to know? What would you want them to think about, prioritize as they move through their lives? Hmm. I would have to say, you got to have fun. You got to have fun. You have to enjoy it while you can. And also realize that bad times will pass. Good times will pass. It's about having fun, being good to people. And really just, just trying to be yourself. Try to be yourself as much as possible. I would say those are the three things. Have fun. Let things pass. Good, bad. And uh, try and be yourself as best as possible. I think sometimes we can get intertwined with all these different components and voices and opinions. And should I be doing this? And 
I'm not having fun because I have to do this or this horrible time will never end. The sun's going to set, the sun's going to rise. Life will continue to go on. It's about the choices that you make. It's about how well you do it and realize that there's going to be some good times and going to be some bad times. You just got to try and take it all with the stride and then just try and continue to find yourself as best as possible. Create that relationship with yourself, I think is fundamental in order for us to feel fulfilled and satisfied. Mario, thank you. Words of wisdom. Are you sure you're not 75 already? No, I don't know. I was just kind of like, <laughs> you know, the wrinkles in the hair. I'm thinking, okay, maybe, maybe I'm actually already there in some way, you know, Benjamin Button feel. So very good. <laughs> so I appreciate everything that you're doing. I appreciate the man that you are and who you are becoming. And I'm excited for all that your future holds for you. And I really appreciate you taking the time and space and energy to share with me today. Thank you so much. Yes. No, thank you so much for the opportunity, Lisa. I really appreciate your camaraderie and your friendship and this opportunity. And thank Eric, a sportspreneur, Ath Mindset, everyone for this great, fantastic opportunity platform. And I wish you guys all the best. One of my favorite things about our Sportsypreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at sportsepreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Sports Epreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide.